0: All right, so your outline should say eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. The uh, series that never ends. This is our 83rd lesson in this series. And we are looking, uh, as the title says, at eight essential that is necessary. If you do not have any of these ingredients which about 99.9% of American presentations of the gospel are missing at least element four, if not some of the other elements. Um, If you don't have all these, then you really don't have a biblical gospel. You have kind of parts uh, of the biblical gospel, and as one of the fast food chains said when they were talking about chicken nuggets, parts are parts, but uh, (laughs) parts are not the whole. And one of the most important doctrines of all Scripture comes from Psalm 119, 160, and 2 Timothy 3, 16, the sum of your word is truth, or all Scripture is inspired by God. So when you look at Scripture less than the whole thing, you actually get a distorted message. And so any, and then any major topic of Scripture that you're considering, you really need to consider From Genesis to Revelation all that the Bible is trying to reveal about that so that's that's kind of huge okay so we've been uh, we had gotten through the um, the first six elements of this series in something like 70 to 72 lessons I should look that up and be more clear But at that point, I just decided that, you know, there's so many new people, plus most people can't keep 72 lessons in their mind in an outline. (laughs) So uh, I decided just to review uh, the first six and then preview the seventh and eighth. So we've been doing that. This is the 11th message since we started reviewing. What we did... uh, Am I okay, Jason? Oh, I thought you were looking at something. What we did uh, is for the first... uh, For the introduction... And the first six elements, we covered those since they were review all in one week. For element seven, we spent two weeks since it's a preview. And after today, we'll actually get into element seven in more detail. And then today we're looking at element eight for the second time since it's a preview. So I'm spending a little more time since you haven't been exposed to those that much. So the first seven review messages covered the first six elements, zero through six. Two and three weeks ago, we previewed element seven, which is uh, the pattern of the five first steps of entering the kingdom. If you take the seven accounts of conversions in the book of Acts, in which the uh, Holy Spirit, through Luke, chose to kind of zero in on and give us some detail, five of them, they give us quite a bit of detail. And in those five, you'll see a clear pattern emerge that people took five steps in the first week of their Christian life. In America today, most Christians have taken anywhere from zero to two of those. You very rarely, uh, well, you sometimes meet people who've taken three. You almost never meet people who've taken all five of those steps. But in the Bible, there's not an account of anyone ever who didn't get all five steps the first week they were a Christian so that's a you know we, we say we're Bible believing Christianity but a lot of it's just that we just haven't really diagnosed the scriptures very deeply you know which comes from reading them and studying them thoroughly so the first five steps of course I uh, didn't list them again since we've rec- we've uh, gone over them. They're on lots of our outlines, lots of our articles. If you uh, are in the process, if you're you've been here less than two years, you're probably in a Bible study with somebody on our leadership team, and you're probably studying those first five steps. And um, so often we will start with reviewing the gospel with people, and because we're we're. Uh, uh, Often uh, up against uh, less than fully biblically complete conversion. In uh, along that lines, I just want to re-recommend. You know, um, Emily did this three-year, fantastic job of like reading all our foundational books, our intermediate books, uh, getting rid of a few that I had put in in the seventies that I hadn't reread enough to realize that that they had some things that weren't so good because I my theology wasn't very. Uh, Developed as well, my first five or ten years as they as it was after thirty or forty years. So she did a masterful job of that. There's a book in there called "Today's Gospel: Authentic or Synthetic." Um, As long as you get, I had actually read the 1964 version, and I liked the book a lot. But I, uh, after Emily came out with the list, I decided to go back and reread all the twelve books she put on the list. Well, and I'm on the third one now, so i got nine more to go. But uh, I, I discovered that not, today's gospel, authentic or synthetic, was republished in 1970, and it's much better than it was in 1964. But all the copies we have are 1970 and previous. And it's amazing the things that he's addressing there about the missing elements of the gospel in America today are exponentially more prevalent than when, when he wrote that book. So, um, anyone who, uh, is at all concerned about the thoroughness of your conversion or if you're, uh, you really care about, you want to get into a place where you can lead people to Christ and help them get started and so forth, I would really encourage you to make a study of that book and maybe read it more than once, maybe read it every year for a few years. That was about my fourth or fifth time reading it and, uh. I guess what, I, what seems to happen for me is a few years after I read a book, even though I thought it was really good, I kind of forget how good it is till I read it again. Then I'm like, wow, this is even better than I remembered. So I had that kind of experience with today's gospel, Authentic or Synthetic by Walter Chantry. All right, so um, last week we started on element eight, which we call Maturing in Jesus, Jesus Christ. And that's about our journey into grace upon grace most um, almost all religions of the world and much of evangelical Christianity today have a performance embraced approach to salvation or righteousness or a better life in fact self-help performance based books are the number one kind of selling book in Christian bookstores in America um, which start with basically a completely different gospel than the biblical gospel. So um, some people have called our modern Christianity moralizing or moralistic, therapeutic, a little bit of psychology mixed in and so forth and self-help. And, you know, my mother bit me when I was five and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, and deism Meaning, you know, the deist believed that there was a god and that he created things, but that he didn't get involved in human affairs anymore. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin were among the American deist. Uh, uh, Voltaire and people like that, what's called the French philosophes, were uh, uh, that brought us the wonderful, uh, mistitled period of history called the Enlightenment, which was. From a Christian point of view, the opposite of being enlightened, uh, the darkenment, <laughs> um, the, they, uh, they had a view of God like that. They weren't willing to jump, you, you know, as, as, as uh, philosophies and worldviews and ideas change and as cultures crumble, people move there gradually. So they weren't willing to be as atheist and anti-God as, say, modern philosophy or whatever at that time, or nihilism or existentialism. But they were willing to postulate a God who doesn't care and doesn't act in history, which is obviously not the Christian biblical God. So most people today who go to to Bible-believing churches have no expectation of that my whole heart, attitudes, motivations, way of life, purpose, inner being is going to change when I receive Christ. That it's going to be a whole new life, and uh, and that there's you know we have no expectations of deliverance from demons or inner healing or uh, various other kinds of miracles. We have no uh, expectation that when we come to worship that we're going to be overwhelmed by the presence of the living God. Uh, We have low, unbelieving expectations. And so that's why some have called it moralistic therapeutic deism. I kind of need to move on. So um, last week I kind of oriented this whole idea of maturing in Jesus Christ in relation to other teachings. So uh, really a lot of maturing in Jesus Christ overlaps what we call the fifth step of entering the kingdom. Because the fifth step of entering the kingdom is living a New Testament lifestyle in which there's a vertical dimension. Uh, You know, today we have kind of this idea, like you'll hear pastors say, well, if you can only spend five minutes a day and read five verses, uh, you know, that's better than nothing. And um, if, uh, you know, if I, you know, just came off a week fast and someone says, I got five grains of rice, That would be, I guess, better than nothing, but that's really not going to do the job, (laughs) right? So devotionettes make Christianettes, make Raisinettes. You know, it's um, historically uh, the idea of meditating on God's Word, of studying, of of what's called spiritual disciplines, like solitude and fasting and, and thorough study of the whole Scripture. In fact, in Joshua 1, when it says that you shall meditate on the book of the law day and night, and many other places in the Old Testament that use the word meditate, that word means to chew the cud. And what, what that word means is that you're supposed to, you know, a cow uh, starts chewing on the cud, and there's lots of gross saliva that helps digest it, and it's being mixed with the saliva and mashed thoroughly and so forth. And then the cow swallows it, but cows have several stomachs, uh, and so forth. The cow use, regurgitates it and chews on it a little bit more. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> I love the Bibles, but like the dog that returns to his own vomit is the fool that repeats his folly. Such wonderful word pictures to teach your kids. I, I used to always like to read my, to my boys when they were little, the story of, uh, Eglon, and when, uh, is it Ahud that, that he stuck him with the sword? It says, and the blade sunk in his blubber so deep till the refuse ran out. That was my good night story that I read to the boys when they were like six, but <laughs> that'll help you sleep. So uh, you, you know that God's enemies will, or God's uh, prophets will avenge, avenge his enemies, so you can sleep in peace. So. Um, at least we're not raising wimpy boys. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Alright, so um the the chat get back to the chewing cud thing. It's pretty graphic, but what it kinda you know, like you have to you have it's means to study and think and pray and ask God questions and and uh cross reference and look up greek words and and ask god to put it in your heart and in your life and to to make the the word of his grace change you powerfully and it's a, what I call wrestle with god when you're reading the scriptures like jacob did so uh that's the first dimension of the new testament lifestyle The second dimension is to share that deeply in Christian community, not to see you on Sunday and at the midweek programs, but where you're enmeshed in daily fellowship. You you know, uh, single brothers live together, families try to live near each other, Uh, we worship regularly, we, we eat our meals together, we rejoice with gladness and sincerity of heart from house to house. And that there's, you know, 90% of the fellowship that happens in a Christian community should be off the church campus at the meetings that aren't the scheduled meetings of the church. So many churches, 90% of what fellowship happens is on the church campus at scheduled programs. So uh, the second dimension is community. And those uh, two dimensions touch on what we're going to get into today. We're going to get into some more things about grace. Um, so, we, we, re, you know, we re-brought up the idea that's in our Grace Upon Grace series. Uh, I also did about three messages on grace in this series under element six. Uh, element six around Q and P, somewhere in their range, just three messages about grace. Uh, the reason we're called Grace Christian Fellowship is because grace is a super foundational and all-encompassing important term you know you are saved by grace no one can come to the father uh, no one can come to jesus unless the father draws him you he, you didn't choose him he chose you it's not just undeserved favor which is the you know definition in both protestant and catholic circles in the west today that's a little bit of the definition but it's you know undeserved favor and the fact that he elected and chose you and justified you. But it goes way beyond that to he begins to empower you through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth were fully realized through Jesus Christ. Grace is always relational. It's never abstract or conceptual. And it has to do with experiential, spiritual, tangible, concrete encounters with the presence of God every day. You can't you can know all the right doctrines and be pretty dry. You can be and we, and if you're if you are pretty dry, you will never have any chance to be properly motivated. You cannot bring forth anything but what what's the Bible calls dead works. If you're the one initiating them and you're the one empowering them and you're the one attempting to please God with all these things, that's what the Bible calls dead works. And in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, when the six foundation stones of the Christian life are listed, the first one is repentance from dead works. That's the starting point of Christianity, is to quit trying to walk by performance and receive His grace and let His grace empower you every minute of every day. So, um, so we're down to uh, Roman numeral 3D there. Now, uh, growing in grace has a couple introductory foundational concepts, which we covered l- last week. One of the things is just growing. Growing is something you can grow. So when Peter says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure, and I could have added, multiplied other verses about the grace to be and the knowledge of God and so forth, grace is something you either grow in, you're stagnating in or you're declining in. But grace is all, it's living and active because he is living and active. And because the word of God is living and active. The word of God is just not an abstract concept, it's powerful. It's not his word like a hammer. It's not his word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock, Jeremiah said. So... Um, you know, you don't just get a hammer, and you're doing carpentry and so forth. And you say, "We need to drive these nails in." So you tap on them with the finger. You say, "Let's get the hammer." <laughs> you know, <laughs> because we got to have some action. We got to have things. We got to have experiential Christianity. Uh, we talked a little bit about unwrapping free gifts. God's gifts are free, but that's so misinterpreted these days, as if we therefore should be passive. And if he showers us with gifts, he showers us. God's grace actually motivates you to want to unwrap the presents, which of course is God himself. I love in Revelation where it says he's coming quickly and his reward is with him. And I've never once read that verse where I didn't, if it wasn't written in the Bible there, I, I always write it in. I'm not like Beth who can keep the same Bible year after year. I'm always changing Bibles, so... I always write in, his reward is with him because he is the reward. So, um, all right, so today we're down to point F, about three-quarters of the way down. Today we're going to pick it up from there. Today we're going to talk about growing in grace, and we're going to talk about attitudes and actions for appropriating greater grace. Since grace is something that can be acquired, and in fact it's God's grace That helps you see your need for more grace. I don't know about you, but as I look in the scriptures and I study Jesus and Elijah and David and Moses and Peter and so forth, I look there and say, I'm a pretty lousy Christian. (laughs) And uh, Lord, I need to be equipped more. This is pathetic. God save me. And, uh, and he's faithful to answer those kinds of prayers. That's a good way to start every day. <laughs> Lord, apart from you, this is pathetic. Uh, I need you every hour. So um, what are the, the attitudes and what in the, are the actions we can do to appropriate growing in grace? So I have kind of, I don't like these little three G's or three F's or whatever very often, but this one worked out this way. So I put I have four H words. In Hebrews 4, you know, verse 12 is when the live, the word of God is living and active and so forth. So read the whole section, but it talks about how we have a merciful high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. But then it concludes by saying, let us draw near to the throne of grace. Try to find it on my page. Uh, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, when you're looking for something that's lost, you keep looking till you find it. You know, that you always tell jokes. To little, I always told little kids, I have like a thousand little kids jokes. One of them is like, why is when you're lost something, you know, why is it always the last place you look? Because you stop looking, of course so keep you know keep looking until you find grace, so here are our four h words um, these four h words have got to all be overlapping, they have to be inextricably intertwined you can 't have two of them. you have to have all four of these ha- things happening every day to grow in grace. Um, the other thing I put as note B there before we get into this is. Uh, one of my great burdens as a pastor is not just this whole thing of restoring the biblical church, but I, I really long to see individuals living in the abundant life Christ gave, came to give us. You see so many Christians who have inadequate knowledge of the Bible, inadequate anointing and flow and power of the Holy Spirit, oppressed by demonic spirits, uh, still, still in bondage to evil habits, fears. Um, Confused about so many things in the Christian life, God wants better for you than that. No parent, every parent who's raised kids, have had some kids that seem to do better emotionally and relationally and academically, and some that struggle and everything. And you just look, you you cry over the ones that are struggling. You pour more of yourself uh, into them. You know, one of my two sons was struggling when I was uh when, when they were young and uh th- thankfully they both came through all right but i was asking my pastor at the time a guy some of you know named pastor brown pastors the church up the street and i said pastor brown what am i going to do about this situation and he, he said something very insightful to me he said you know some kids you can give them like 30 to 40 percent of your best dad effort and and by the grace of god they'll turn out right some kids need ninety to ninety-five percent of your best dad effort every day, all the time. And sometimes you just need to increase your prayers, your your time spent, uh, what the things you're studying that might help them have a breakthrough. Uh, whatever. Sometimes you just need to, you know, uh, devote more time into figuring out how to be an instrument of God to bring that child a breakthrough. But as a pastor. That's honestly what I'm all about more than anything else. You know, if you, heard, if you were here Friday night and you heard Chris Like's testimony of how powerfully he got baptized in the Spirit uh, 10 days ago and what happened to him all week this week, it was, um, it's amazing. It's, it's the kind of thing that only God can do. So we could, we could, by the grace of God, God could put it in your heart to want to see that happen for someone, but we would have no ability for that to happen unless God did it. That's one of the great mysteries. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Everything that has to do with grace, deliverance, uh, inner healing, maturation, everything comes from Jesus. Yet God used Peter and John to lay hands on the people in Samaria uh, to do what God did. So that God has this, there's this whole mystery that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And if you really begin to understand God's heart and the Bible and understand who you are, what you'll realize is this: if God did it direct, that would be way more impressive than if he had used us. Because we need years of sanctification years of empowerment years of being taught by God and so forth just to start getting in the way a little less (laughs) of what God's doing. Like for God to take the likes of sinful, I mean, Paul the apostle was a murderer of Christians trying to stop the move of God in his day. Wow. And he became, you know, probably the greatest apostle in the history of the church. And that's why God chose you, because he was like, this is a tough case. If I if I save this person and sanctify them and actually begin to equip them and mature them so they're actually bringing forth fruit, everyone will have to see the glory of God. <laughs> that's kind of how I look at like why God chose me. It's almost like it's a little joke or something. <laughs> I'll use that guy, because no one could believe that. So... <laughs> so I certainly wasn't voted uh, most likely to become a Christian in my senior year of high school. In my, <laughs> um, we had the most likely this and most likely that thing in our senior year. They would vote on, and I was, uh, I was voted most radical. But I wasn't voted most likely to become a Christian. That's for sure. <laughs> so uh, I think God just likes to uh, do that sort of thing to prove how great He is. I think that's what Paul is saying. All right, so let's go into these things. Uh, Don't stand in the doorway is what I'm saying. You know, so many Christians are kind of still by the side of the foot pool sticking their finger or their toe in the water once in a while. You know, dive in and on the way down, look to see if there's any water in the pool. Uh, All right, the first one is humility. Humility. I love Numbers twelve three because the man it says the man Moses was the humblest man in all the earth, and he wrote it. And he and it's the word of God. It's it's true. You know we gave John Luke the humility badge, but then we had to take it away from him because he was wearing it too much. (laughs) No, that's an old joke. But you know, uh, humility is not what you think. Is the point. Humility is not being a humble bumble, and I don't know, I'm probably just a loser, so I don't know if my opinion matters much. Humility is great empowerment, great conviction, great usefulness that's totally derived from God, and you totally know it is. You totally know that you're nothing without Him. Humility will actually cause you to step into uh, extraordinary acts for the lord whether you're leading worship or you know washing cars for the glory of god or whatever you're doing humility will cause you to be a beast as they would call it in the in the uh, whatever you call it, the modern culture like a beast is like a good thing in sports these days like what a beast uh a christian that has humility should be a beast. But totally understand that, that, that they're empty apart from Christ. You know, I can't bring forth anything except some of the most heinous sins. Even attempts to be righteous, that's why repentance from dead works is so important. Any attempt to be godly that's initiated by us, for us, and so forth, is, that's really wicked. Godliness is always initiated by God. It comes from God. It it through us and to us, but not for us. For the glory of God. So humility is is uh stepping forth in empowerment under the power of God. That blessed are the poor in spirit. I I often God often brings people into our church and in to our lives because we prayed for this and we oriented our church toward this. We are a church for really troubled people. and God brings us one really troubled person after another real troubled person and we don't just do the give' them clothes and food thing. What we do is give the is uh, take them through to wholeness with all these things that we're talking about today in terms of the delivery systems of God's grace. So, you know, often someone will come to me and they'll go, man, I'm in a crisis. I'm about to flunk out of school or just lost my job or I crashed the car. My parents are really upset at me whatever, you know, like things are going really bad. And I always am faithful to lovingly say, wow, that's really good. I'm going to thank God for that. I'm so excited that things are bad for you because that's the loving hand of God. He's brought you to that place so you can be, learn how to be poor in spirit. If everything is falling apart, it's your finest hour, <laughs> yeah. and it's true because uh, it might be the only way that God could ever break that rock of proudful, prideful heart out of you. But to let to have it crash on the rocks of reality. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, most Christians today don't even like think inheriting the earth is a goal. You know, like we're supposed to just do what we do behind the four walls of the church and spiritual and stuff. No, like the church is supposed to to extend the dominion, reign, and rule of God in all the earth. The church is supposed to be inheriting progressively, From the day of Pentecost till Jesus comes back. Real meekness is is in the heart of conquerors. Honesty uh, means being convictable. Blame shifting was born in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam said, The woman whom thou hast given me. So he starts blaming the woman. Then he then he decides: let me just up the ante. You gave her to me in the first place, it's your fault, God is what he's saying. If you hadn't given me this you know the wiles of women i it would I'd be such a godly person and the wife was uh willing to blame the devil, but neither one of them owned it. Honesty is when you start to own it, no, no blame shifting, no excuse making, no spins, no. Well, it all started when my mother bit me when I was 5 and then I was allergic to cats and I fell down the steps and my I think I have brain damage, but <laughs> you know uh you know what? You whatever whatever you went through as contributing factors Christ is able to cause all things to work together for the good of those who are called of God and are born according to his purposes. And my mother biting me when I was five was the best thing that ever happened to me. So, you know, all of us have had stuff that we could say contributed to our stuff, but... You know, blessed be the God of all comforts, second corinthians one three who comforts us in all our afflictions that we may be able to comfort others, whatever problems you have, determine they're going to be one of the most powerful um clear parts of your ministry. You know my first Christian message was at my closest brother's funeral, and I've always been used of God. Uh, with people that are bereaved because bereavement is one of the most intimate times of life. The Bible tells us not to bereave or grieve the Holy Spirit which shows the deep personhood of the Holy Spirit. Hungry. Hungry. Well, i got to move on. I don't want to do another week on this. Hungry. Uh, Blessed are, a lot of us know about hunger. Not that much in America, but we've conceptually, maybe you've heard of it. Um, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. I was in a, a meeting in a Bible study this week, and somebody said, well, could getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and so forth increase my hunger for righteousness? And I said, sure it will. Because he's the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to be holy and intimate with God. And God wants to grow a hunger in you. Part of our problem, the reason, you know, uh, so many struggle today is uh, especially video entertainment, but entertainment in general is somewhat designed to kind of turn you into a zombie with no uh, hungers. You know, you're constantly like feeding this thing like in a half-hearted, half-blank way. And uh and but it's never really what your soul needs. It's like when you haven't eaten for three weeks and all and you know, you're just gonna have a Pop-Tart. Oh. Dana's like, don't take on Pop-Tarts. She, <laughs> John, John used to like Pop Tarts too. Uh Dana likes bar tarts, I've been told. I'm ratting you out. No. <laughs> um, so contrast in the Bible, passivity versus seeking. There's all kinds of articles being written by pastors out there about why this has become like what they call the millennial generation and down is the most passive generation of all time. We are getting more and more, mostly through video entertainment. There's other reasons for it. Uh, having been given too much too early in life, and, you know, we've never really, you know, that's why you you got to get your kids a job. You know, to have them see Logan, who loves the book of Job. I, I always avoided reading it because I thought it's a job. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, hunger... Is something you you, you gotta have, and it'll cause you to become active with seeking. Most of us just let life happen to us too much. Don't be the the, you know, I always say there's three kinds of people: initiators or spectators and taters. You know, and initiators make things happen, spectators observe things happening, and taters say, What happened? (laughs) And uh most of us are you know have way too much couch potato in us and uh and we just let too much happen to us Take charge of your own maturity If you're grouchy or bitter or whatever that you you can do something about it because God has provided every grace you need Don't you know like we go one of the things I've observed in terms of this five steps, I've seen a lot of people who, after they're born again and water baptized and even baptized in the Holy Spirit, go years without getting delivered from demons and inner healing and doing the work that it would be required to get through that step. Don't let that happen to you. That's That's got to be on you. You've got to read the books. You've got to do the renouncing. You've got to Burn the things that need burned or or whatever. Confess the things that need confessed. Get reconciled in the relationships that need reconciled. You know, so many times we go to pray for someone for deliverance and they haven't gotten themselves ready. And so it ends up, instead of a deliverance session, a counseling session on what you need to do to get ready. We have the resources. Talk to any of our people on the leadership team about, like, how do I get ready? But write it down and then work your plan. Don't let things happen to you. Be hungry. Uh, don't just seek personal righteousness, but seek this, the, see the church restored in social justice. I see I'm not going to get very far today, so we are going to have one more week on this growing in grace, probably. Oh, well. Um Holistic, not in the holy sense, but in the complete sense. Employ all of God's grace resources. We're, if, I hope we're going to talk a little bit about the three-legged stool that we call the delivery systems of grace. So, you know, use these four H's as a barometer. It's a tool for you. you it's not going to do you any good to have heard this message unless you take this message, maybe re-listen to it, and work through, like, how much of these four H's are really controlling my life? Just, for instance, to throw in another hope, but hope is more a part of, hope will cause you to be hungry. In 1 John 3, he says that it is not yet appeared what we shall be, 1 John 3, 3, but when we see him, Christ, then we shall be like him. And everyone who has this hope purifies themselves as he is pure. If you don't have a, enough obsession, uh, passion, like a hunger that's kind of obsessive, you know, uh, a number of people I've heard share in our church about doing a three-day fast or a seven-day fast, and, they, and and almost everyone who's done that will testify that somewhere around the second or third day they start dreaming of pancakes, and lasagna, and you you know, by day seven, you wake up in the middle of the night, and half of your pillow's missing. <laughs> you know? But, you know, if you, if you really have the hope that you're going to be like him, you'll be obsessionately, violently passive about taking the kingdom. So instead of just yell at yourself and go, well, I need to be more into devotions, figure out what it is that's, that's causing you not to, be, not to be hungry. Well, you know, I, sometimes I'll have someone tell me, or sometimes they won't tell me, but sometimes I can observe that they've lacked spiritual disciplines, and sometimes this goes on for quite a few years. Don't just, like, make a list of what your spiritual disciplines need to be. That's good. But figure out before God, like what is, what? Am, why am I not more hungry? You know, for instance, sometimes your stu- your soul can be stupefied because you feed your appetites too much with, with entertainment, with sleep, with overeating, etc. And sometimes you're stupefying your soul and you're taking the hunger God's putting in you and you're illegitimately feeding that hunger all the time, and, and, the, and you're not getting to scratch the real itch. Don't let that happen to you. No one else can take care of that for you except you. I feel like I'm being a bit harder today than I usually like to be. Uh, so I, I, I'm not trying to be grouchy or whatever. I'm just passionate. Right now, I'm I'm feeling, you know, like God. It was interesting that John said from the pulpit about a month or six weeks ago that he sensed that God wanted to bring us into this season of visitation, which I was also sensing, but we hadn't had a chance to hang out and talk with each other. And that was kind of something I was saying. And And we're really in that season right now. You know, I was so, I couldn't sleep last night not because I was worried about anything. I was just too happy. Like, I'm really excited about all God's doing, and I was thinking about scriptures and, and messages and, and can't wait to share with, you know, so-and-so this on our meeting on Tuesday or whatever. You know, God is moving in our midst, and things are happening. Make sure you get some net gains that are, that are permanent out of this. it's it's a great season of visitation make sure you get a visitation and make sure your family gets a visitation and make sure your single brother or single sister household gets a visitation and make sure things that god deposits things in you in such a way that you say i'm no longer the person i was anymore all right i've got to end so flip over i'm going to just give us a Whatever they call that when they tell you before you they go to commercial that come back and we'll tell you about this next news story. What do they call that? a teaser. Yeah, thanks. Here's a teaser. We're going to get into the uh, grace delivered. You know, there's delivery systems of grace. Grace doesn't come to us in some mysterious way that we don't can't know about. Uh, grace comes through Jesus Christ, and he comes to us through His word, His spirit, and His church. And they are always inextricably intertwined. He's all, The Word comes to you through the church and the Spirit. The Spirit comes to you through the Word and the church. And the church comes to you with the Word and the Spirit. So we're going to look at those in more detail. Uh, of course, as we go on and we redo chapter 8, we'll look in even more detail. Then we're also going to hopefully get into next week um, just the whole concept of growing in grace, and coming out of performance base. And I really want to help us see that performance base is rooted deeply in our fallen nature. And so, because uh, performance base leaves you with something to boast about, but grace leaves you with nothing except thankfulness to God. So we're going to look at that more deeply, and then finally we're going to look at some antidotes to being performance-based, and uh, we will cover some of those next week. Um, I, I do want to cover one thing. I forgot. Um, the On the word of His grace, you should have gotten a book when you came in today. Uh, Taylor Thickerson uh, did a nice job of, uh, says John Luke Oguyen right there, and nice calligraphy, and it's beautiful, and... Uh, the book is uh, something John and I are very excited about. Emily, I guess Emily found this book, and John or you found it, and John and Emily and I all read it. And I was so, I mean, the, as soon as I got the email from, from Emily or John about the book, I was like, I got to read this book. I went to Kindle, bought it right away, and started reading it. I dropped everything I was doing and read this book. We've been trying for five or six years to kind of teach, like, how to read the whole Bible, how to look at major themes. Uh how to do hermeneutics and and biblical interpretation in a better way, and this book um, is really the best simple introduction to that. A lot of the books that really cover the things we've been trying to impart uh, are more for people who have graduated from college or whatever. This, any Anyone who can read on a, about a seventh-grade level will be able to read this book and get the message out of it. And he basically teaches you how to read the whole Bible, and uh, and to read it as from one God, with one message, and uh, and how to use all the right parts is all the parts of the Bible is one thing. This we are very excited about this bo- book, and of course, this is what we call the book of the year this year. And I pray that everyone in our church will have read this book, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, this is not one of those kind of books. One of the things that Emily th- decided to do was make the 12 books on the foundational list all simple books that anyone could read in a month or less so that we could read the whole 12 foundational books in a year. And um, as soon as I got the list from Emily, I started in on and I'm almost done with book three. And that, that was two weeks ago. So they're not. They're, you can handle this book if you're in maybe seventh grade or so. And um, unlike a lot of the books that cover some of the things we talk about in terms of uh, studying the scriptures, you don't need that great a reading level or that great of uh, reading comprehension level. This is really a book for everyone. If you have teenage kids, I highly recommend you go through this book with your teenage kids. So, amen.